0: Stories. Christmas is full of stories. We know them well. The stories go like this. So the stories begin, and there's a, there's a man who lives in a cave far above a village, and he looks down, and he hates Christmas, right? And so the story kind of sets up. He has a dog, he has these things, and he's going to go down to—do you remember the name of the town— Whoville, right? And he's going to go down to Whoville, and he's going to take all their presents and take Christmas away from them. And so he goes down, and he takes everything away, and then he loads everything onto his sleigh, and he goes to go back up the mountain, thinking all will be dark and all will be lost. And then what do the Who's do? They stand in a circle, and they begin to sing, and he hears this strange noise. They begin singing, and he has this revelation, right? And the revelation is that Christmas really isn't about presents and toys, but Christmas is about something deeper, right? And he goes in the story. And then his heart changes, and it grew three sizes that day. And he goes back down, and he goes to Whoville, and they warmly accept him. And he cuts the roast beast, if you remember <laughs> well. See, the story of Christmas is a story. And it is a story that isn't like the story of the Grinch. It's different. The Grinch is a, it's a myth. It's a story. It's a quaint thing written to kind of make us think of greater principles in life around Christmas time. See, the story of Christmas is one that actually happened. And the setting of the story works like this. There was silence. No word had been spoken. God had distanced himself. No prophet had come. 400 years of silence. God had not spoken. No prophet, no word. And then he bursts onto the scene. And he speaks to Zechariah and Elizabeth, to Mary and Joseph. John the Baptist is born and then Jesus. See, there's a setting, there's conflict, there's rising action, there's climax, there's falling action, there's resolution. And it's this part of a story that's part of a grander story. And the part of the story that's a part of the grander story is God is bursting onto the scene, but the birth of Jesus is not even close to the beginning of the story. The story began long ago, and it will end far into the future. The story is a part of this greater rescue mission and story of God in the world. So before we read the text today, we're going to read Luke 2, 1 through 20. It'll be on the screen, so there's a Bible in the seat ahead of you. If you don't have one, you can grab it and turn there with us. Luke 2, 1 through 20, and in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word, but in this text, what we'll find is there's a superiority to the person of Jesus. Now, to those of us in the room that love and know Jesus, you know why he's superior, because he has done something significant in you that you could not do for yourself. So there's a superiority to Jesus, and Luke will constantly scream of the superiority, You see, John the Baptist was born, and in Luke 1, we see his birth. Now, there's two verses that speak of the the birth of John the Baptist. And I don't think it's without, I think this was intentional on Luke's part, that there's 20 verses dedicated to the person of Jesus being born. Because Luke is making an extreme statement, and what he's saying is, that Jesus is superior to all. His birth is different. It is unique. It is not like the birth of another. It is, is exceptionally, extraordinarily set apart and set aside as a unique birth. See, John the Baptist was born, and he was a prophet. He was a prophet of 400 years of silence. No prophets, and a prophet is born. And John the Baptist, we'll speak about this throughout the day today. Is John the Baptist says it like this? When he sees Jesus, he he makes a statement. He says, "Behold." The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was not the one to come, but he was, he was the one who came to proclaim that there was one coming. When he meets Jesus, he'll state, make this astonishing statement in John 3.30. Oh, he must increase and I must decrease. There's a superiority to the person of Jesus. So let's read together Luke 2, 1 through 20. So if you'll stand this morning in honor and reverence to reading God's word We'll read the classic entirety of Luke 2, 1 through 20, the Christmas story found in the scripture. "'In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus "'that all the world should be registered. "'This was the first registration "'when Quirinius was governor of Syria. "'And all went to be registered, each to his own town. "'And Joseph also went up from Galilee, "'from the town of Nazareth to Judea, "'to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, "'because he was the house and lineage of David.' to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to, the firstborn, to her first, firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And In the same region, there were, were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I just want to focus that verse, read it one more time. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Savior Christ Lord. Father, we pray that you would honor, Lord, this reading of your word, and Lord, that you would speak the truths of these texts into our lives, of this story in which we know, Lord, in which it is filled in this text with so much. Lord, speak to us, open our ears to hear and our eyes to see today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it really is a wonderful thing to be here this morning, gathered in this room, filled up to the brim. And it's a wonderful thing to gather together at Christmas because we have all kinds of things and traditions that we do. I remember a few years ago, me and my daughters and my family, we, we played out Luke 2, 1 through 20. So we gave every person in the room a job, right? And then we read the story and they acted it out. Which, by the way, if you want to video something that might go viral, do that. Because you have no idea what a three-year-old will do who is the person (coughs) of Mary, right? And so... So it was this wonderful thing. I think at the end of it, they were fighting over baby Jesus. I think that's how that went down. And so if you don't know me, I have four girls, and this is just kind of how we just don't know what's going to happen. And so and if you have children, you know that. And so, so this story is one that we know. You've read it maybe at Christmas time. You've heard it preached on before. It's a story that's familiar. And so I hope what we can do today is just take of, out some of the, these basic things we know and maybe in a clearer way understand the profound truth of the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, Jesus's entry into this bigger story that will for us bring redemption, hope, and life eternal. So the first thing that we see in the text is the arrival to Bethlehem. So if you're following with me in your notes, simple, the, the arrival to Bethlehem. Now, they had gone from, from Judea to Bethlehem. <clears throat> And in this journey from Judea to Bethlehem, we talked about the journey last week. It was historically this wonderful place, Bethlehem. This was the resting place of Ruth. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you know this. Here's a little preacher joke. Um, do you know what Boaz was like before he got married? Ruthless. And so, so it was the birthplace of Ruth. <clears throat> right? Not the resting place of Ruth. It's terrible. Bad. Amen. There you go. My amen row just gave me an amen that it was terrible. And so, uh, <clears throat> so it, it, was, it was the resting place of Ruth, the birthplace of David, and this historically kind of place that was set aside, of a place of nowhere yet of great biblical importance. We'll read the Micah text of the prophecy that Jesus would be born in this very place. This 75-mile journey from Nazareth to Judea to Bethlehem—it was a minimum of three days to make it. Mary was pregnant, and they traveled, maybe, you know, through this mount—they they, they traveled through this mountainous, rough terrain, weather, etc. Now, at Christmas, me and my wife, our family has always lived like 12 to 15 hours away. We complain about a 12-hour drive at Christmas time, right? Because we have screaming children in the back, making your ears bleed and whatnot. But they had this 75-mile journey because there was, this, there was this oppression upon them in the day in which they lived, this fear that surrounded them because of Herod, because of Caesar, because of the government that surrounded them. There was this pressure put on to do what was right. But God in his providence had said that the baby would be born in Bethlehem, Jesus the Savior, and he would be. Bethlehem, again, the town of David, the house of bread, would come the bread of life. So again, this is this historically wonderful place, but oddly obscure and completely prophetic. There was a proclamation that was made, I believe, simply by Bethlehem being the birthplace of our Savior. The gospel has come for all ordinary and obscure people. Not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter says that that he, not wanting all to come to repentance, not any to perish. Meaning that every man, every woman, every child, God desires for them to come to him, to worship him, to be made new in him. And I believe that Bethlehem was a very large statement of saying this obscure place where our Savior would be born would proclaim to these obscure people to the ends of the earth, and I don't know about you, but I am an oddly obscure person. I'm unworthy of this message coming to me, this renewal that has come into my life. This is what being born in Bethlehem is, is screaming. To register with Mary again for taxation purpose because there was no place for them in the end. In the end, would have probably been a <clears throat> who knows what that necessarily would have been, but they probably had Jesus in a cave somewhere tucked up on the side of a hill. Micah 5, 1, 5, 2 through 5 reads this But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. In this passage, what we see is that Jesus, this was prophesied long before, and so although it was oddly obscure, it was completely prophetic, that the gospel would come to all ordinary people. Now, when God says something, it comes to be. This is the way it is. If you read the Old Testament, you read of all the promises that God makes, over and over and over and over and over again, God makes promises and I'm not even saying this just from a Christianity standpoint, all of his promises come true historically. It is, it is highly unlikely for all the things that God said to come to be, yet they all did. So that's a really encouraging thing, but also possibly a very discouraging thing. It's a very encouraging thing, Because God keeps his promises, meaning that those of us who are in him, we can bank on what God has said. So if you have faith in him and you've placed your faith in him, this means that you are a child of God. We sang about it this morning. You are free, that that you are loved and you're cherished, not by your own merit, but by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you. You are free. It says in the scripture that if you are in him, you're seated in the highest places with him, not in the future, but today. You have the highest position that you could possibly have in Jesus, because of Jesus. You are loved. You are treasured. These are promises that he's made if we are in him, and we can bank on him because God keeps his promises, even to where his son would be born. He keeps his promises, but he also keeps his promises that if you are not in me, you will be judged, that if you rebel against me the entirety of your life, you'll be cast away from me in death. There's this real weight to this. And see, the reason it's important to say that real weight is Christmas really isn't Christmas without that weight, is it? I mean, it's just the birth of another person. If it's just, oh, a guy came to bring you good things. And he absolutely did come to provide us a way that is good beyond good because there was bad beyond bad coming toward us. There was death, and there was judgment, and there's hell, and if we don't have Jesus, there is no remedy for those things in our life, and we'll be separated from him forever. See, the weight of Christmas rests upon this child being born to take away our sins and set us right with God, because we cannot do that on our own. So this ordinary obscure people, you and I can be made right with God because of this king who would come to an ordinary, obscure place to be born. So the second thing that we see in the text is the arrival of the king. So we see this place and the context, the historical setting where he's at, and in the arrival of the king, he comes. It says it like this in verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, this is important, right? This is the virgin birth. That's why it says her firstborn son. She had never been with a man and wouldn't be until after Jesus was born. She would have other children, but Jesus was different. He was born of a virgin, not of blood stained by sin, but born of God. Jesus was different. He is unique. He is one of a kind. And so they wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, again, probably in a cave, because there was no place for them in the end. So then in verse 11, I focused on it when I read it, but it's this verse that the angels declare who Jesus is. Read it again, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's three words that describe this child born. And then his announcement of his coming, the angels deliver it, which would have been really good for Mary and Joseph, because if you've ever done birth announcements, it's very challenging, is you've been really busy, you've been up all night, and you've got to write, wait a second, I've never done that. And so uh, I love my wife. And so, so the angels, right, they bring out this birth announcement. To, to the shepherd, saying there's a savior born, but they, they, they describe his unique character because these aren't just words, like he's going to be a good child. People say that, we don't know, we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know what a child's gonna be like, but this, of divine importance, they said he is the savior, he is the Messiah, he is the Lord, the savior, he is bringing salvation, meaning he is the deliverer, the protector, the preserver, the deliverer, the one who will free us from our sin. The protector, the one who will defend us from evil. The preserver, the one who will keep us to the very end. The Savior has come. The Messiah, the one who would come from the line of David to restore us to God. He was the anointed one, the one of royal position, long expected, the one of promise throughout all of time. They had waited and waited and waited for. The Messiah had come. Not only was he Savior Messiah, but he was Lord He was ruler, the one who holds all power, the master, the one in whom all will bow down to. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. So this story is not about a little baby, but about a lamb that would be slain and die for the sins of the world. A lamb that by his scars we would be healed. A lamb who we will worship for all time. And for those who have been redeemed by his blood, it says in Revelation that we'll shout this about Jesus, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Christmas says, in essence and in the full weight of it, you and I are not enough that in my own merit, I cannot bring enough to God. In my own goodness, I can't bring enough to God. In my own efforts, I can't bring enough to God. In my, in my financial giving, I can't give enough. I can't do enough because I have a stain. And my stain is my sin, and I have no remedy for it. One had to come on our behalf. Christmas says that we are not enough. See, Jesus was, is, and always will be the Lamb of God who humbled himself and took on sin for us. He that knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came so that he might bear. That he might bear that which we could not bear. So that we might be with God. Our deliverer has come. He has been born in Bethlehem. So in the text we, we see that the, he's a, they arrived at Bethlehem. Jesus is born now. What's significant about this is in Bethlehem as Bethlehem is really close to Jerusalem. And in Bethlehem is where the sheep are raised that would go into the temple and be offered before, before the Lord. Now, what's oddly peculiar about this is the men who raised the sheep, raised the lambs, couldn't enter into the temple, only, only a few could. But that night, those who were distant those who could not enter into the presence, something extravagantly different happened that night. The arrival of the shepherds, right? They came. The shepherds, these humble caretakers of sheep outside of Jerusalem, caring for the sacrificial lambs, the angel appeared to them and they said, there's a savior for all people. Now, I don't know if you hear that. I've made a commitment to the Lord. Every time I say all people, I'm just going to pause there for a second because this isn't for white people. This isn't for Asian people. This isn't for right, whatever continent, whatever creed, whatever. This is for all people. And so, so God cares about everybody, every tribe, every race, every creed, every color. The savior of the world is for all Peoples, can I get an amen? Like Jesus came for all peoples. And so so Jesus came for all people that they might be redeemed. And so what happened is the the shepherds went before the Lamb of God. and They worshiped him. They worshiped him, the one who would once and for all die, the sacrifices of sacrifices. that would put them out of business. They they stood before and they worshiped him. Because the lamb had come. They were amazed in his presence that all that had been said had come true. And all through the New Testament and the Old Testament, this word of lamb is used. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. John the Baptist would come on the scene and he would look at Jesus and what would he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came to be born, to die, to save. His birth is not the climax of the story. This is just part of the rising action, folks. Right? This, this isn't the end of the story. The rising action is he's come. There was silence, he's come. And now our remedy, our hope, it's at hand, It's here. See, John the Baptist, again, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb has come, who is spotless, who can once and for all make man right with God. In the finality of breaking the barrier that separates us, our sin, he would bear it. He who knew no sin would become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, there's the reality of the implications of this historical event that it changes all of our stories. The reality of this is simply that all of us in this room, whether we like it or not, one day we'll stand before God. Each and every one of us will stand before him and we will give an account for our lives. Now, I wish as a pastor that wasn't like a part of the everyday routine of our life, But as pastors, most of us in this room who are pastors, we stand with families and we get to be with you as loved ones pass from this life into the next. And I wish in some way, like I could do this, like I do with my kids, and not to all of you because some of you would be very uncomfortable at this. I wish I could just like grab your face, right? (laughs) Just like put it right here. Not too close, but close enough, right? Close enough to, to not be really uncomfortable. And we'd look at each other eye to eye Just say, hey, this is real. We're really gonna give an account for our life. And God really sent his son to die. And without him, it is the most fearful thing in the world. But with him, there is a peace that is unspeakable. Stop running, stop hiding. Stop fearing and lay down your weapons. Stop your fighting. Stop your war and find peace with God today. Because, see, this isn't the story of just a baby being born. This is a story of the Savior of the world entering into the bleakest situation that humanity had ever faced and providing a way through his life, death, burial, and resurrection for us to be with God. See, God has not been silent, and he is no longer silent. He has seen our need. He has seen our need for hope and has come to bring peace, to bring life and light into our lives John 17.3 says it like this, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, I love that verse because there's not a lot of verses like it. The verse says, this is eternal life. Now, if you wanted to know what eternal life was, does anybody want to know what that is? I mean, it's kind of a big thing. It's a big deal, right? I'm, I'm not going to live forever. I, what I to do I wonder that this is eternal life that you may know the one and only true God and His Son, whom He sent. He sent His Son. He was born. And eternal life can come through knowing His Son. Now, Christians in the room today, those who have confessed to Him, profess a love of Jesus. I just say this to you: Do you? Do you know him as you want to know him? Are you pressing in as a, as a child presses into a father wanting to glean everything I can from my dad? Are you pressing in to him this Christmas and in the year to come in a way that shows, like, I, I want to know you, the fullness of who you are, God. I want to know your ways. I want to know your activity. I want to know your heart. I want your heart to be my heart. I want your life to to be lived through my life. I want your will to be my will. I I want you to fill me. I want to know you deeply. Maybe for you, this Christmas would be just a great prayer to pray. Oh God, help me to know you more. Because see, he isn't distant. It's not just on the words of a page. He indwells us. He fills us, and he's not a God who is distant. He's a God in whom we can know and know increasingly. For those of you this morning that maybe have never given your life to follow Jesus, this is eternal life that you may know, that you may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's pretty simple, and it works like this, is that if we repent of our sins and turn in faith, we can know him. Now, this isn't like, I heard a guy say it like this, this isn't like a Monty Python Bridgekeeper scene, right? Where, you know, if you can answer the three questions right, that you get to pass and go on and be with God. That's not how this works. You know, it's not, what is your favorite color? Anybody that knows it, it's super funny. If you don't, don't watch it. And so, and if you don't think it's funny, then you're not funny. And so, uh, Sorry. <laughs> And so, so we, we, we deal with things in the church sometime. Like this, this is, God, God could not be a more genuine than, than, he, than, than anything that we ever have known. And what God wants from us is something genuine where we say to him, and I remember it well in my own life when I said, oh, Father, forgive me because I have run my own life and I've run it into a ditch and I'm the worst boss of my life. And I've rebelled from you and I've pushed you away and I am so sorry. And I remember it, well, I said it, I don't even know what to do. But I know I need you. And so will you come in me and will you change me? And then I pray, God, would you please bring people into my life to help me? I don't know what your prayer is to God, but if you've never turned in repentance and faith to him, I just encourage you and implore you today. Today, to say, God, forgive me. I've rebelled against you. Turn my heart back to you, my creator, that I might live for you, love you, and worship you. See, I believed in a way I didn't even know it that day. I repented of my sins, and I turned in faith to him. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know in Scripture it says over and over again, through repentance and faith, you can enter into a relationship with God in which you can know him increasingly and his son whom he sent and whom we will worship for all time and eternity and we will proclaim worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we are grateful for you, the lamb of God who was sent for us. Father, this morning we recognize that it is no amount of our own effort that can set us right with you, but it's by what you've done for us. Philippians, Lord, you said that, that our Savior Jesus humbled himself and became a man. Lord, we thank you for the advent, for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for Christmas that we we annually and throughout the year focus on this incredible event in time and time in history and through it, Lord, would come our salvation would come our Savior giving himself to be crucified for our sins taking the death we deserved taking the hell we deserved taking the judgment we deserved and bearing it himself for us Lord, we believe that your word is true. We believe that you desire to know us. And so, Lord, whatever, whatever you're saying, however you desire for each and every person to respond, whatever you're saying, Lord, I just pray that the resounding answer in the hearts in this room would just be yes. Yes, I want to know you more. Yes, I want to know you for the first time. help us to respond. Jesus, you are everything. You are the superior story. Jesus, might you make our story a part of your superior story. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: If you'll stand, we're going to
0: sing. These altars are open for you to come and pray.